I, uh, on Shabbat, I talked a little bit about um, why this is called the New Year, right? The agricultural reason and, and, and all of that. But, you know, there is a, uh, there's a traditional reason about why this is the New Year. And, uh, and so it kind of ties, the story kind of ties together the idea of repentance and uh, looking forward. It's very interesting. So uh, we ask ourselves, okay, it's the new year and it's 5782, right? 5782. I'm going to have to get used to that when I write my checks, right? Uh, 5782. And, and again, as I said on Shabbat, and grow my hair out. Okay. Um, but um, the tradition is, is that um, God created man uh, on Rosh Hashanah. That the Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary, not, not of the beginning of in the beginning, of when man was created. This is the, this is the, the uh, tradition. Okay? Uh, and we know that on the day that man was created, man had the opportunity to choose the path of life or the path of death, the, the way of the Lord or his own way. Right? Okay? Uh, and so, therefore, on Rosh Hashanah, uh, each year, the anniversary tradition, in the tradition, it's really a midrash, okay, to help us uh, to appreciate the day, right? On the anniversary of the creation of man, when man chose the wrong way, God holds the creation accountable to see how we're doing, so to speak. That there is a visitation on, uh, on uh, Rosh Hashanah, to uh, sort of take account for everything. Is man walking on the right road or not the right road? And so uh, uh, God uh, uh, takes a look not only at us, but at the whole creation. How is the creation doing? And, uh, and so uh, the, uh, th that is uh, the traditional understanding of tying together the idea of judgment and the new year. And on top of it, of course, the agricultural uh, reason. And uh, it is, traditionally, it is a time of year when there is a visitation from God, and we know what happens, right, in the tradition that God opens up the books, right? Which book are we going to, is our name going to be written in, and, and so on, and uh, it's the season of introspection, and uh, we said uh, uh, on um, Shabbat, I read um, Psalm uh, 139, you know, in uh, verse uh, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me uh, in the everlasting way. Uh, and so, uh, in this season of praying, God, bring to the surface all the stuff that is hurtful and painful and, and uh, which uh, keeps me from joy and keeps me from really loving you with all of my heart and soul. Perhaps attitudes that I have, roots of bitterness, hatreds, fears, uh, worries, uh, all of it, bring it up, O Lord. It's sort of like vomiting, you know? Uh, bring it up, uh, O Lord. 
Uh, and, and of course, it's not meant to be uh, something that is, uh, you know, ho-hum. It really is supposed to be an encounter uh, with God. And when we blow the shofar, the shofar is, you know, there's, in the tradition, it's a rich reading uh, in the Talmud of the tractate Rosh Hashanah, uh, all the different reasons for the shofar, that the shofar wakes us up, you know, uh, and reminds us, sort of jolts us. Whoa, you know, come to your senses, right? I, uh, remember that God is king. Remember that we're accountable to him. Remember that you're in a covenant relationship with him. You know, it's not just go through your life and then go to heaven when you die or something like that. Or just wondering when God's going to bless me more. Uh, or give me more. Uh, but wow, I am really accountable to God. And it is also meant, in a way, as a prayer. Like, the sound of the shofar opens up the doors of heaven and allows us, you know, into, into that presence. When I, when I read that, it kind of reminds me, it's like God is the, Yeshua is the shofar, right? Yeshua is the shofar. So you can go ahead and share that anywhere you'd like, okay? You know, like Yeshua is the living shofar, right? Like he's the ladder, right, at the end of the Gospel of John and in chapter 1, where he's recounting Jacob's dream, right? Uh, and that Yeshua is, is the bridge, so to speak. He is our entree, you know, into the presence of God. But the sound of the shofar sort of, you know, wakes us up and, and helps us uh, uh, to, uh, to remember that. So, in understanding uh, the holiday as both this, uh, you know, sweetness of looking to the new year and a time of judgment, it's, it kind of balances them both out. You know, we need both. We need a sense of accountability, but we also need to have the hope and understanding, uh, you know, uh, of, uh, of basically, you know, the, the, uh, the love of God. But like I uh, began to talk about, uh, on, uh, Shab on uh, Shabbat, we have this responsibility, yet we have the promise of eternal life. And I fear that for many of us, the great promise and acquisition, one might say, of eternal life in Messiah and the security that we do indeed have with him sort of... Um, pulls the plug out of the wall of our real fear of God and accountability to him. I know we say it, you know, certainly we know we're supposed to be holy people and all that, but we do know, I think, that we have the, the salvation card, you know? Uh, and so, uh, therefore, we really don't take that seriously since. Like when we sin, I wonder if we really fear I, you know, I just said this thing. I just said a bad word, or I just had a really evil thought about somebody, or some kind of lustful thought, or something really bubbling up inside of me. I wonder if, we re if it really bothers us. Or I wonder if it bothers us because it inhibits our joy. But does it really bother us because it bothers God? Does it really bother us because God is unhappy with us? Yes, 
I know that we're supposed to only teach. We are accepted in the Beloved. He loves us no matter what. Yes, it's true. Yet we are accountable for everything we do and everything that we say and every encounter and every thought in our lives. But then we might ask, well, how am I accountable if I'm saved? I don't understand. Well, I'm glad you came tonight. Okay? So that is, it's a really good question for us, you know, uh, to understand. First, so to speak, the nuts and bolts of what happens to us when we uh, come to faith. So, you know, there's a ton of passages uh, to think about, but I'm going to turn to a couple. So in, in the book of Romans, in the Brit Hadashan, chapter 10, in chapter 10, and I'm not going to take this apart verse by verse and parse all the verbs, okay? That'll take too long. Uh, but I want us to get the gist of what's going on. I'm going to read it and then just kind of explain it, okay? So, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, for them is the Jewish people in this context. Okay? Uh, is for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Messiah is the, really the word is, better word is goal than end, of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. Moreover, the righteousness based on faith speaks this way, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Messiah down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Messiah up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That, and as we just said together, that if you confess with your mouth Yeshua as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved, you shall be delivered. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in uh, salvation, salvation. Right? And then the next verse. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So what's happening here? What's he saying? What he's saying is, is in this context, that Israel, the Jewish people, have a tremendous zeal for God. Nobody is more zealous than Orthodox Jewish people for doing the right thing, right? If there is wetness on the surface of the road, some of us will not come. But you go down to Main Street when it's maybe 10 below zero and you see Jewish people walking to the synagogue. There is a zeal to go. There is a zeal to pray. There is a zeal to, to do the right thing. I know that there is a characterization, or a caricature, that's a better idea, a caricature of the Jewish people, oftentimes, of just, oh, they're just legalistic. Oh, they're just trying to, trying to uh, you know, uh, jump through hoops uh, to get into heaven. That is not really the case with many people, right? And that's what he's saying. He's paying a compliment uh, here, <laughs> okay? He's, there's a zeal for God. But then he says, but not in accordance with knowledge. Now, he's not talking about knowledge of the Torah. Nobody has more knowledge of the Torah 
right, than, uh, than Israel, than, than Jewish people. But so then in verse 3, he defines what he's talking about. He says, For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to what he calls the righteousness of God. It's a phrase and it has a meaning. The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God means the righteousness that only God can provide. The righteousness that only God can provide. And then he says, For Messiah is the goal... Uh, of Torah for righteousness to everyone who believes, meaning that the Torah serves a variety of purposes, uh, a variety of meanings. Now, when I say Torah, I'm just going to say living right, okay? I'm not talking about celebrating Jewish holidays here, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about doing what is right, doing what is ethical, doing what is moral. Uh, you know, everything you read in the Brit Hadashah about about morality, you know, and ethics, and the way we conduct ourselves, all finds its roots in the Torah. So when he says Torah here, that's what he's talking about, okay? Uh, and, and so we could say for ourselves, then, this is the way that we're supposed to live, right? Okay, so Messiah is the end of the way we're supposed to live for righteousness to everyone who believes. Whoa, does that, wow! That kind of puts a little shift on it here. Uh, Yeshua didn't come to do away with that which is the cornerstone, uh, you know, of the way we live, <laughs> right? He didn't come to do away with that at, at all, okay? But in, in one sense, the Torah has lots of meanings, but in one sense, it's sort of, before Yeshua came, it sort of keeps us, kept us on a straight and narrow. But when the Messiah came, Torah was what? Internalized. We read in the Gospel of John uh, that it is realized in us, in Messiah, right? The new covenant, the internalization of this way of life. That's what it means here, okay? When he says that Messiah is the goal of righteousness to everyone, the, right, the, end, the goal of Torah for righteousness to everyone who believes, the goal is that it would be internalized, okay? Okay. Now he says, Moses writes that the man who practices righteousness, which is based on Torah, shall live by that righteousness. Okay, here's a bulletin. This is not a negative. He's not saying this is the wrong way. Okay? What he's saying is that, th that now that the Torah is internalized, what Moses said is really true. And that is uh, that the person who practices righteousness based on the Torah will live by that righteousness. That's what we're called to do. And he, again, he's not talking about seed, seed, and he's not talking about Jewish rituals, which is what we love to talk about, but he's talking about the ethics and morals, the way, human dignity, and, and, all, and the way of life that we as Messiah followers are supposed to live. He's talking about all of that, right? And then in verse 6, it's not the opposite, but he's saying that he's elaborating on it when he says but here in verse 6. It's not the opposite, but he's elaborating on it. That's why a better translation would be moreover, moreover, righteousness based on faith speaks this way, do not say in your heart, and so on, what, what I read. Right? Now, I, this, com this portion in verses 7, uh, in verses uh, 6, 7, uh, and 8 comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Right? Where uh, Moses says that the day is going to come when 
you're all going to be convicted and you're going to repent. You're going to turn from your wicked ways and you're going to return to the land and return to the Lord. And God will circumcise your heart so that you'll be able to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. You'll be able to really live out the Shema. You'll be able to live the way God had originally intended it for be, to be. And then if you read farther in verses 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, I think it is, or a little farther than that, in Deuteronomy 30, he says, this is not an impossible thing, that you don't have to go to the other end of the world. You don't have to go to the other, you know, the other side of the ocean. You don't have to go up to heaven. You don't, that, it, that the word is right here. And what Paul is doing is he's saying, the word is realized in the Messiah. And that when you embrace the Messiah, that's what he means here, when you embrace uh, the Messiah, you have what he calls the righteousness of God. Okay? So when we embrace Yeshua, we have the righteousness uh, of a God. He says kind of the same thing in um, Matthew chapter 5. We talked a little about, if you attended the Torah study on Shabbat, we talked a little bit, a little bit about this, right? In chapter 5, uh, when he says, in verse 17, Do not think that I came to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill, in verse 17. But truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the Torah until all is accomplished. And then he says, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But the key is verse 20, when he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. How could anybody's righteousness surpass that of the, that of the scribes and Pharisees? I mean, they, they uh, did it right. They they uh, had every yud, uh, you know, they dotted uh, every dot and tittle uh, the rabbis uh, or the Pharisees were quite aware of. Uh, and, and may I suggest they were living righteously. But it's this righteousness from God. That is the righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees. And so, in Yeshua, we have... Uh, you know, the, this uh, fulfillment. He realizes Torah within us, and that is why Paul identifies Yeshua with the transforming power of the uh, Word of God. And so we know then that, okay, that we have this righteousness of God, even who I am now, even though I'm living in this world and, uh, you know, and face the temptations of this world, I have this righteousness of God. It's like, it, 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 it is a gift that God uh, has given me. It also means, and uh, as we read in many passages of Scripture, we are forgiven. We're forgiven of our sins. We have a circumcised heart. Because of the resurrection, we have a new life in Messiah. We have the beginning of eternal life. We're seated with Him in heavenly places. That's what all of this means. right? We know from Colossians in the third chapter, our life is in Him, and we are seated with Him in heavenly places. He is our life. So our position, having this righteousness of God, this position, uh, we are in Messiah, uh, we are seated with Him in heavenly places, there, our citizenship is in heaven, and so we live in two places. We live there and we live here. And so our life forever, yes, is secure in that position 
in Messiah there. We have an inheritance, right? Peter tells us we have an inheritance. We have a living hope. We have an inheritance that will not decay. So on the one hand, this thing we know that when I embrace Yeshua, I am forgiven. I have eternal life. That there is a, a, an assurance of my life in him, my identity in Messiah there, and there's nothing that can take that away. So why should I be motivated to be so concerned about sins? If I know that I have that. It's all by grace. It's totally undeserved. But we still live here. Now, when we usually think of living in the, the future, living in the presence of the future, right? We usually are thinking about the blessings of, of heaven being available to us now, right? Living in, you know, present but not yet. That I live there, so therefore, isn't it a marvelous and wonderful thing that we have the first fruits of the Spirit? That uh, we can uh, have a portion of what is already in the future. We can have it now. That's usually how we think about that. But there's another side of the coin. The other side of the coin is, is that the scriptures tell us and are really clear that what also awaits us in the future is not only blessing, but an accounting for our lives. Yes, even us. There will be an accounting for our lives. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and at that time, you know, as we usually teach it, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, be, we'll be there at the judgment seat of Messiah. Uh, all of our works will be judged, right? Uh, and, uh, uh, and so on. So may I suggest, though, that even today, just as we uh, uh, can appropriate the bless, some of the blessings of the future, we are called, we have a responsibility to appropriate the accountability of the future uh, even, even now. There are passages such as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which I just alluded to in verse 10, that says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Uh, in Romans chapter 14, we read there in uh, verse uh, 10, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. He's saying this to Messiah followers. We must stand before the judgment seat of God. Why do you judge each other? Why are you picking on each other? Why are you holding offenses of each other? Uh, or why are you hurting each other? Uh, you are going to stand before God for everything in your life. Okay? Uh, in the book of Hebrews, uh, in uh, chapter uh, 4, uh, in verse 13. All right. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom I love, with whom we have to do. Yes. We are accountable to God. And you know, uh, the, uh, many of the parables of Yeshua 
uh, talk about this. And, uh, you know, there is uh, the parable of the talents. I won't take the time to go there and, and read it. But you know that the workers, you know, the, the, uh, the master goes away and gives basically money to, the, to his workers, and they're supposed to invest it, right? And then he comes back, and he, wanted, knows about, he wants to know about everybody's investment. And, uh, and uh, I'm not going to talk about the whole parable, but only the end of it, and that is everybody is accountable. Everybody is accountable for what they did, right? And the one who made the best investment, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. There is an accountability. It is quite clear. And Yeshua even gets very painfully specific in certain places about this accountability. Okay, and uh, here's a really good one if you like to underline passages. And I say to you that every careless word that men, may, men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. You know, uh, may I suggest, it's not only the words that we say, it's the words that we think, and it's also the words that we type. So I'm just going to say it right now. If you're really like active on social media, every post and every comment you've ever made, you will have to answer to God for. Just thought I'd let you know. Okay? All right. Now that should make us feel a little uncomfortable. Right? We have to give this accounting of, of our lives because we know the Lord. Because we uh, have eternal life, we have a responsibility, yes, to demonstrate that life, that invisible life in the presence of Yeshua in our visible, real life here. We're not called to live double lives. We're not called to live the life there and then the life here. And so, therefore, we are accountable because we know the Lord. And so when we repent of our sins, when we turn and we forsake and we receive the Lord, it's not supposed to stop there. Yes, uh, we are forgiven, but we need to, so to speak, live in that forgiveness. That's why we need to continually confess our sins. That's why we need to always be thinking, God sees what I'm seeing, God sees what I'm doing, and know that we are accountable. That's why... One of the great themes of Rosh Hashanah is God is king. And we are to remember that he is our king and we are to yield to him and we are to be devoted to him. And it is the way that we live that demonstrates our devotion to the king. And that our devotion is not supposed to be in word only. Or uh, on Shabbat morning. But even when we get frustrated, even when we're, you know, get someone rubs us the wrong way, or even when we're sad, or even when we get bad news. That is the challenge, you see? And these are the things we need to be thinking about uh, on, this, on this holiday. There is a recognition of accountability in this mortal life. If we did not have this mortal life anymore, if we were not living in this flesh, uh, and uh, the you know, if, uh, we were just resurrected and 
living uh, any, the eternal life now, that there was no more sin, well, then there'd be no more judgment, right? But we live in this world. Even though we are the light of the world, we live in this world. Now, you all received, when you, uh, when you came in, uh, this little uh, piece of paper. Uh, and it's interesting that uh, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it's not even in our Machzor. And I've already contacted the makers of our Machzor and let him know uh, that uh, there's a staple prayer in the, in the Machzor. And uh, I know most of us are not familiar with how services really work in a, in a synagogue. But, but you know how we do the Shema once and we do the Amidah once? Well, you know, on holiday services, you do them several times. You do the Shema several times. You do the Amidah several times. And the second, the, the, toward the end of the service, you, it's, 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 it's actually called the concluding service. It's like a little service within the service, okay? And, uh, and we all do the, everybody does the Amidah. But when the cantor repeats the Amidah, see, we don't actually even, well, it doesn't matter. But uh, the cantor repeats the Amidah, on holidays, that's when all the special prayers for the holiday usually are put in. It's in that repetition of the Amidah at the end of a, toward the end of a service. And so uh, this is a great prayer. It's called Untenet Tokef. Uh, and uh, it, it, I'm going to read. Actually, why don't we all read it since you have it. Okay, and if you're watching on Zoom, uh, uh, there was a link in, your, in the email. For this, uh, for this prayer, okay? And it's okay if you can't find it right now, but, but we'll uh, read it, and we're only going to read it up to, uh, up, to a certain, um, up to a certain point, okay? Uh, up to, to verse 20, okay? All right, and so we'll start from the very beginning. And so let holiness rise up to you, for you are our God and King. And let us acknowledge the power of this day's holiness, for it is full of awe and dread. And on it your kingdom will be exalted, and your throne will be established in love. And you will reign from it in truth. Truly you are judge, and prosecutor, and litigant, and witness, and author, and sealer, and recorder, and recounter. And you will remember everything that has been forgotten. And you will open the book of memories. And it will be read from. Everyone's signature is in it. And a great shofar will be sounded. And a thin whisper of a sound will be heard. And angels will recoil and be gripped by shaking and trembling. And they will say, this is the day of judgment for reviewing the hosts on high in judgment. For they will not be innocent when you judge them. And all who enter the world will pass before you like sheep. As a shepherd searches for his flock and as his sheep pass under his staff, so too will you, will you record and recount and review all living beings as you have them pass by. And you will decide the end of all creatures and write down their sentence. On Rosh Hashanah, they will be written down, and on Yom Kippur, they will be sealed. How many will pass on 
and how many will be created, who will live and who will die, who at their end and who not at their end, who by fire, who by water, who by warfare, who by wildfire, by wildlife, who by hunger, who by thirst, who by earthquake, and who by plague, by strangling, and who by stoning, who will rest, and who will wander, who will be tranquil, and who will be troubled, who will be calm, and who will be tormented, who will be exalted, and who humbled, who will be rich, and who will be poor. Let's stop there. Now, of course, this is a Paiute. It was written in the Middle Ages. It's got a very interesting backstory. But the uh, point is, it's meant to jar the person who is singing it and reading it. Okay? That, wow, my whole life is accountable to God. Now, this is kind of like, okay, we'll stand at the judgment seat of Messiah. Now, again, I have to say this again and again so I'm not misunderstood. Yes, our life is secure in the beloved. Yes, we have eternal life. Yes, uh, we are organically via the Holy Spirit connected to Yeshua forever. And nothing can separate us from his love. But we have a responsibility here to be accountable. And the reason we live such mediocre lives is because we forget about that accountability. And God is not happy. God grieves over our lack of accountability. And so we need both. Very, very important. And it's a key. It's a key to really an abundant life is to be willing to be held accountable. To say, Lord, really search me and know me so that I can deal with it once and for all. And we get to do this. Now, the more that we confess our sins the more that we uh, uh, seek forgiveness, frankly, the more cleansed we'll be. You know, when we live in God's forgiveness. When we live uh, in that forgiveness. Now, uh, looking at this uh, a a little bit, again, it's supposed to shake us up. And you know, in the uh, book, uh, This is Real and You're Completely Unprepared for It, uh, the, uh, the author tells a story which kind of epitomizes all of this. And he tells a story about his wife uh, being pregnant. And uh, that uh, uh, when he found out that his wife was going to have a child, this was great. You know, and as uh, the months are passing by, they're getting ready for the birth of the child. He's got it all figured out. Okay? It's going to be a home birth. Uh, You know, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be this wonderful, beautiful, spiritual moment. You know that we will share together, and it's going to be great. Well, now it's almost time, right? And there's a complication. Uh Uh-oh, we have to go to the hospital. Okay, so, all right, we'll go to the hospital, but I'll be right there, you know, and and it'll be, uh, it'll still be special. I'll be there, it'll be a real spirit. I'll pray as the baby's coming out, and... And, you know, it'll just be this great bonding experience. And so now there they are in the delivery room, you know, in the hospital. And now there's bright lights, you know, and everybody's running around. And he's kind of like, you know, get out of the way, buddy, you know. And, okay. And, and then his wife starts screaming. 
you know, like, get this thing out of me, right? Uh, and yelling at him and everybody else. Uh, and the whole, this whole plan was just a whole mess, right? And he says, you know, and then it dawned on me. What a fool that I thought I could just figure all this out, you know? And that, that I could just, you know, it's going to be like this. And it's going to be just beautiful and, and just right. And looks like this just in. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say it because I'll think about it the whole time. Okay. Silver Mercedes. HSH775. Your lights are on. Okay. There you go. Now I'm done with that. Okay. So. Uh, okay. Where was I? Okay. Uh, so, yes. Right at the moment. Yes, thank you for that. Good. Uh, so, I, I, what did he realize? He realized, I am a fool, right? I thought I could figure it all out. I thought I could do it, you know, it would be just right, uh, and, and what a blessing it would be for me, right? Okay, so oftentimes when we come to a service or we come to a holiday, we're very concerned about the food that we're going to eat. We're concerned about the length of the service, we're concerned about, you know, dismissing the kids. We're, we're concerned about getting it just right and getting all the songs just right, the liturgy just, liturgy just right, or even, you know, giving the message just right. All of us, we're all concerned about that. When really, the reality is that there should be birth pangs and we should be sort of completely undone. And that's what he means in the book, that that this is real and you're completely unprepared. You're completely unprepared, right? The question is, how prepared are we? The question is, are we prepared? Are we prepared to really have an encounter with God? That, it, that doesn't just lead to more, isn't just, oh, what a great feeling that was. Or, oh, what a great moment that was. Which is what we usually uh, just crave, right? But I wonder how many of us really could even stand an encounter with God where he reveals to us the the stuff within us that we need to get rid of. And for most of us, we just spend our whole lives accumulating it. It's like when I was a child and I would play in the summertime, I, I can remember that uh, there was weeds, fields next to, where, next to our house. And I would run through those fields. When I come home, there were these burrs on my socks, right? And my mother could not stand this. Because when you pulled them out, there were still those little things, you know, in there, right? You know, and it's like we live our whole lives with those burrs. We, have, we live our whole life because it's too hard. All I want is blessing, and I know I'm saved. But if we really want to get the, do the right thing, if we want to, you ever hear that? If we ever, if we want to do the right thing, we will open ourselves up to God. We will say, really, search me and know me. Where have I failed? Who do I need? Who I need to be humbled, right? It takes a lot of energy to hide all those sins, believe me, you know? And, you know, think about some of the people in the Bible that had this kind of encounter. I'm just going to mention one. I would love to go for 10, but I'll only mention one. Uh, and it's one that we're all familiar with. It's Isaiah, you know? Wouldn't we all just love if we heard this part, just this part of it? This, you know, if we never read this before, if we never read this before, I, I, and we're reading it, 
And in the, in the year of Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his uh, 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 glory. And the foundation of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out uh, while the temple was filling with smoke. Now, let's say we never read that before and someone's telling it to us. And then I said, then I said, now guess what he said. And he doesn't say you didn't know. Praise God! Wow! What an experience! Oh, I feel so close to God. I have experienced the power of God, and now I am ready for whatever. In the Bible it says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Being in the presence of God and the counsel of God, this was not something that brought a praise the Lord, but it brought him to his knees. He could hardly live. He could hardly take it. Because standing in the presence of the holiness of God means seeing ourselves for who we really are. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. But it's not just your iniquity is taken away and your sins are forgiven. Would you like to have coals on your lips? It hurts. It's like surgery when we really encounter God. But the end result is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You, you see, that's what an encounter of God does. You know, there is a, um, there's a singer, singer-songwriter. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Leonard Cohen. You ever hear of Leonard Cohen? Okay, well, I'm just going to say he wrote more than one song. Okay, if you don't know who he is, he's sort of like a real earthy Bob Dylan. I mean, that must really tell you something right there, right? Uh, and uh, he wrote a fire, uh, he wrote a song based on this, based on this uh, poem in the Siddur, in the Moxor. It's called, And Who By Fire. And these are the words. Now, he was not a religious Jewish person, okay? Yes, he was Jewish. And yes, he, you know, he was uh, familiar with uh, this prayer. But he's not a, he was not a religious Jewish person, in really any sense of the term. Okay. And who by fire? Who by water? Who in the sunshine? Who in the nighttime? Who by high ordeal, who by common trial, who in your merry, merry month of May, who by very slow decay, and who shall I say is calling, and who in her lonely slip, who by barbiturate, who in these realms of love, who by something blunt, who by an avalanche, who by powder, who for his greed, who for his hunger, and who shall I say is calling? And who by brave ascent? And who by accident? Who in solitude? 
Who in this mirror? Who by his lady's command? Who by his own hand? Who in mortal chains? Who in power? And who, shall I say, is calling? And so he takes this part of this where the question is asked rhetorically, how are people, what, what is people's, what's going to happen to people in, in this year? You know, who will live, who will die, who by water, who by fire, and then he adds all these other things. But there is this refrain. The refrain is, who shall I say is calling? And this is where basically what Cohn is doing is he's questioning. He's questioning the, that accountability. Yet at the same time, he recognizes death is all around us. He recognizes that all kinds of things are happening. Are we really accountable to a God? And, and you know, that's kind of the angst of, the, of much of what he sings about, actually. Uh, and, uh, and, and so uh, for us, uh, hopefully for us, we are not saying, who shall I say is calling? Hopefully we know who's calling and that it is indeed the Lord and it is indeed a God. Uh, just a few words on this. At the beginning when it says, um, you know, understand the holiness of the day, in a sense, it's not just acknowledge it, but come under it and recognize it. When he says full of dread and awe, you know what's interesting is that combination is used only in one place in the Bible. And it is in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 7, where Habakkuk is describing the Babylonians. <laughs> you know, and the dread, fear, be terrifying. But isn't it interesting that it says here, Um, right at the beginning, when he says, and on it your kingdom will be exalted and your throne will be established in love, in chesed. And so right here in it we see that God reigns in chesed. His throne being established means the way God reigns. God reigns in loyal love. Okay? Standing before God can be terrifying as we saw there in Isaiah. Right? But his rule is based on loyal love. When it mentions all of these different uh, titles, prosecutor, litigant, author, sealer, recorder, and so on, you know, remember our friend John Cantor who is here, he made a great sentence. He says, we play to an audience of one. They, you know, that uh, we stand before a God and he plays all the roles in the courtroom. And, and there's us, okay? And uh, everything, uh, you know, just as you read, in, again, in the book, this is real and we're not... Uh, and we're completely unprepared for it. He talks about how they'll be like the movie of our life. You know, uh, the movie of our life. Everything is played before God. Now he's talking about, he's talking about Rosh Hashanah. Everything, you know, we, we usually preach that and talk about that as that's going to happen when we stand before God at the end. But may I suggest that we are called to kind of live that out, to allow God to say, I, you, I am accountable to you, Lord, Right? Not only my life, not only me, but the community I'm in and the people that I encounter all the time, wherever it might be, every chance encounter. And then he looks at our world and he sees the state of our world, the state of people. Somehow I get the feeling God is not pleased with what he sees. But you see, when we repent, when we confess it, in Yeshua, we know, yes, God indeed receives us. 
but we must come to that place of, indeed, encountering God, like Isaiah, but having the assurance of deliverance because we, indeed, uh, are in him. Every word, remember that, every single word. You know, um, in Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 3, you have these words. Okay. Beginning in verse 19. Oh, I'm in the wrong place. Sorry. Revelation, not Romans. I'm ah, rejoicing, uh, repenting. Ours. Ours are everywhere. Okay. Uh, in Revelation chapter 3, we read in verse 19, and we're going to read probably the second most misunderstood verse next to I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. Uh, the second most misunderstood verse is right here in re- the end of Revelation chapter. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Be zealous therefore and repent. Now that verse alone. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Be zealous therefore and repent. So when we are confronted with our sins and we are feeling like a knife going through us, perhaps, or just guilty as can be, or, you know, just like Isaiah. I'll just say like Isaiah. Recognize that it's coming from the Lord. Recognize that that guilt, or those, you know, those, remember I said on Shabbat, what it is, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. We're grieving God, and we're feeling that grief that is not pleasant. But recognize that it's coming from God. And whom God says, I love you, and I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Right? That's exactly what we read in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And if there is no discipline, we're illegitimate children. That's what it says. Just as a father loves his children, so we are called uh, to be disciplined by God. We are accountable to a perfect Father. Okay? If we didn't feel any of it, then we'd have to wonder, is there really God or do I know him or what? But if you know the Lord and you sin, you feel guilty, that is a marvelous thing. Because as we read on Shabbat, you have to go back and listen to that, 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 that should drive us to repentance, drive us to God. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He, will, he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the ecclesia, to the congregations. When it says here, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, he's talking to believers. In Yeshua, he's talking to a congregation, a congregation of Messiah followers. And what he's saying is, you need to repent because, you know, you're like an end unto yourselves. You got it all figured out. You're a perfect organization. But where am I in this picture? That this should really convict us. When it says, I stand at the door and knock, the question is, when we hear that knock, that is conviction. 
when we hear that knock, that is things that take place in our world that is like a, a moment that jars us. When we uh, hear the sound of the shofar, it is Yeshua knocking on the door. Let me in. And may we be people who are cleansed, who experience conviction, who experience true repentance. God will indeed cleanse us. God will indeed uh, give us an experiential kind of forgiveness that frees us. But we must take the initiative and we must take seriously everything we say and do. And may I suggest that as a preventative, uh, that uh, as we're living, say, I know God is seeing everything I'm saying. God sees everything I'm writing. God knows everything that's going on. And that in and of itself will indeed, uh, you know, uh, cause us to live a life in the forgiveness of the Lord. All right, so finally, the last thing here is, you know, we've been, we've been um, reading Psalm 27 uh, for a month, and we will, traditionally, we continue to do so for a few more weeks, actually. And I'm just going to read the first three uh, verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. These are great verses. Tomorrow we'll talk more about them and their role in the psalm. But notice, this doesn't say we don't fear God. What we fear is the enemy. Or what, we're, what we don't have to fear is the uh, enemy. Uh, and uh, even the rabbis say the reason that we read this during this time of year is not because we're afraid of other countries attacking us or, we're, you know, or, or people, but... The sin which holds us back, the things that, that we need to be repenting of, that we should not fear that sin will keep us from God, basically. That sin will keep us from God. The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? In the Brit Chadashah, it says, He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That we do not have to fear the enemy. Nothing can keep us from the love of God. Right? Our war is not against flesh and blood, but spiritual forces of darkness. And so may we be encouraged and know that we do not have to stay in the quicksand in which we live. We do not have to stay, uh, you know, bogged down in our roots of bitterness and hatreds and temptations which we fall to every day when we say, this is just me and it's who I am and I can't help it. We can have victory. Yeshua is our light. He gives us clarity. He gives us the road. Yeshua is our, indeed, is our deliverance. And as we engage in the process of what we've been talking about, we can say this, indeed, in confidence. And so... Um, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Let's make sure we bring our kids back in uh, as uh, we uh, prepare to hear the sound of the shofar. Let's pray. Lord uh, God,
I pray uh, for myself, uh, Lord, that uh, you might break through my own heart, Lord, and help me to feel your pain of my sin, of my entanglements, of my bad choices. And Lord, I thank you, God, that I know that in Messiah Yeshua there is indeed forgiveness, and I am forgiven. And Lord, thank you, God, that you promise that, yes, we can experience blessing from heaven today. But Lord, I pray for me and for all of us that we would also experience your accountability. For Lord, that accountability yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Lord, I pray that we would, at the end of the day, at the end of this journey, this year, begin to really experience that peaceful fruit of righteousness as we engage seriously the road of repentance and forsaking sin in our lives. God, and we pray in Messiah's name.